The school year comes to an end next month. COVID-19 isn't going away, and a new investigation from the Oregonian and Oregon Live found many public schools aren't doing enough to ensure the air students, staff, and teachers breathe is as clean as possible. And that's not just a COVID problem. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, investigative reporter Amy Green discusses her months-long investigation into ventilation and air filtration inside public schools across the Portland metro area. We talked about why she wanted to investigate this issue, how Portland Public, the state's largest school district, is falling behind most suburban districts, why it's not just old buildings that are failing, and why this issue is about more than just COVID. Here's our conversation. Aimee Green, thanks for coming back on the show. Sure, you're welcome. So, Aimee, thank you for your reporting going very deep into the issue of ventilation and air filtration in public schools. Got to ask you, why did you want to go so deep into this specific topic? Yeah, well, I think that we all have talked about the desire to get back to our normal lives. And really a part of that, I think, is just having good, clean air in the buildings that we spend most of our lives in. We're indoor creatures. And having fresh, clean air in classrooms is critically important in getting students back to um, their normal lives where um, we don't have to worry um, so much about catching airborne diseases. Uh, the White House this spring has really been stressing the idea of increasing air changes per hour in all sorts of buildings, schools, offices, stores. Um, studies show big differences um, between rooms with poor ventilation, as in very low air changes per hour, compared to those with good ventilation, high air changes per hour. COVID spreads a lot easier in those spaces with stagnant air. I talked to a U of O professor who said mm-hmm. the reason that society shut down in March 2020 is because our buildings failed us. Um, if ventilation and filtration had been good and protected us, we wouldn't have needed to lock down. And I just wanted to add one other thing. You know, it's not only about COVID. Um, I think it's about preparing for the next pandemic, whenever that might be. We don't want to go through this again, where we just have two years plus of ups and downs and, and agony. You know, whatever that virus may be, we could be better prepared for it. But there's also um, plenty that good clean air in classrooms can do now. Um, out, besides um, preventing COVID, it can lessen the spread of colds and flu that plague us every winter and make us feel miserable or yeah. cause us to have sick days. Um, it can also help people with asthma and allergies, um, lessen mold in buildings, and reduce carbon dioxide in the air, which is shown, some studies show, to make us um, less alert and less able to learn well. So before we get into some of the specific findings from your very comprehensive piece, can you just enlighten us a little bit? How long did you work on this? I know um, we talked about air exchanges at some point. You know, I I have no sense of time with the pandemic. Could have been a year ago, (laughs) could have been longer. So I know it was on your mind for a while. But how long were you working on the piece? And what roadblocks did you have to navigate to, to get answers to the questions you were looking for? Well, I remember back to very early on in the p- pandemic, and there was great discussion about how COVID spreads. And pretty early on, the scientists were saying it spreads through the air, primarily through the air, and it's um, 
time passed, um, they came to say it's almost entirely spread through the air, which made me wonder, how is the air in the buildings that we go into um, when we go grocery shopping or to school or to work? But there's very little information on that. However, about a year ago in spring 2021, um, Portland Public Schools began testing the air in its classrooms. And over the course of about a year, it tested the air and it measured the air in all of its classrooms, as well as other spaces like libraries and gyms and cafeterias and school offices. And I didn't find out about that until um, PPS had begun, um, after a number of months, um, slowly posting these air measurements on its website. It it was a very hard, difficult to find um, web page, but it was brought to my attention by a reader. And um, I've I've been working on this story for about three months. It's pretty heavy stuff. I mean, there's a lot to learn about what ventilation is, what filtration is, um, what what good numbers are. Well, that's a Nice segue um, to to talk about some of the the findings. Obviously, we'll share a link in the episode notes. But um, what are some of uh, the takeaways from you know analyzing all this data? And, and if you could just kind of shed some light on how much you had to go through, like what what was the level of documents uh, that you had to pour through? Yeah, so there are more than eighty schools in Portland Public Schools, and there were. Uh, reports done for each school, spreadsheets showing measurements in virtually every room. Um, and I had to understand, you know, what that means. There has not been much information out there about what an ideal number of air changes per an hour is. You know, I started talking to building science, ventilation, and airborne disease transmission experts and um, began asking them, what is um, a good, healthy amount of ventilation and filtration? And what they told me, well, what Harvard says is that anything below three air changes per an hour, that's the amount of um, times a total room's volume of air changes. Anything below three times every hour is really below the bare minimum. Hmm. And so we set that as... um, a metric to look at for Portland Public Schools. And we said, how many of these classrooms in PPS um, have below three air changes per an hour? We found that the high schools generally have um, pretty good ventilation and filtration with the help of uh, portable air purifiers, um, but that, that PPS is put into every classroom. But Even after PPS put in portable air purifiers in every classroom, the elementary and middle schools, about 25% of them still really struggle and they don't meet that bare minimum threshold for air changes per an hour. The district was calculating these numbers with the air purifiers running at full blast um, and that definitely is not um, happening in many cases in classrooms. So there's probably um, more than um, 25% of uh, K through 8 classrooms that fall below the bare minimum. I also looked at gyms and libraries and cafeterias, spaces where either kids are crowded in elbow to elbow, eating and chatting or um, exercising, or the whole school shows up for an assembly and they're packed in there and found that more than 50% of the school districts, um, gyms, cafeterias, and libraries fall below three air changes per an hour. 
Um, as well as we looked at one other standard, which was five or six air changes per hour, which is what um, at least 10 experts told me should be the target, should be the goal to have at least five or six air changes per hour in school spaces, and found that more than 60% of elementary and middle schools in Portland don't have at least five air changes per hour. So they don't meet that 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 target, that recommendation that so many experts say constitutes better air for our students. What kind of challenges did you have reporting this story out? You know, one of the things going into this is I knew it was a very um, complicated story and I would need to talk extensively with the district. And I give the district credit that they granted me three interviews over the course of a number of weeks. So I did end up talking to them for about three hours. And they did answer most of my questions, either in those interviews or through email. But there were questions that remained unanswered. One of the questions was, how many air changes per hour are in Superintendent Guadalupe Guerrero's office? I wanted to use that as a point of comparison to those classrooms that struggle with one or two or three air changes per an hour. I wanted to show the range. I mean, there's rooms in the district with 15 air changes per an hour. So I wanted to know where the superintendent's office fell in, um, in that, you know, in that range or what, what the air changes were. And the district wouldn't tell me. There was one other thing that the district denied me, which was access to the schools. I had asked for permission to send a photographer into the schools, an Oregonian photographer, to take pictures of the ventilation systems and the portable air purifiers. If they were concerned about students being in the pictures, um, we offered to come outside school hours. And I asked and asked over the course of weeks, and the district ultimately said no. And when I asked why, it was difficult to get an answer out of them. But what became clear to me in talking to them is that they weren't happy with the focus of the story. They think that their air changes, their ventilation is good. The superintendent said that they're providing optimal air quality in their classrooms. And um, I think that they were unhappy with a story that was pointing to many experts that disagree with that. And so they denied the Oregonian access to take pictures in schools based on the content of our reporting, the content of our journalism. And I don't think that's the role of public agencies. So that's a lot to to digest there. Um, but I mean, when you talk about the a total air exchange of, you know, five or six times um, in an hour, is that achievable with, um, you know, a substandard HVAC system? Um, can you do that? Or do you really need to have a, you know, a, a good uh, ventilation system in your school building on top of having these portable air filtration devices that a lot of us probably snagged after the wildfires in 2020 in particular? Yeah, it's a good question. There are some classrooms in Portland public schools that have no ventilation. They have no airflow. Um, the air is completely stagnant. And the district puts in um, one of these portable air purifiers. It might boost that airflow up to, you know, maybe maybe two air changes per an hour. It is possible to keep going. Um, just add more portable air purifiers to the classrooms. And if you, mm -hmm. you get enough in that space, you'll be able to filter the air to reach that level of five or six air changes per an hour. 
when you talk to educators, um, you know, teachers, what did they have to say about either the standards or, you know, the air purifiers in general? How do they do their job given, you know, all of this uh, all while, you know, trying to teach during a pandemic? There's definitely concern among the teachers. I mean, they're concerned for their students. They don't want them to get sick. But also, um, you know, frankly, adults are more likely um, to have problems with COVID. And so the teachers are saying, yeah, they're relying on these air purifiers to provide better air. The teachers I did talk to told me that they um, got no instruction uh, about how to run their air purifiers. Do they need to run them full blast, um, which turned turns out to be rather noisy? Mm-hmm. In elementary and middle schools, there are purifiers that the district bought run at about 59 decibels, which is like someone having a conversation in the room and the teacher having to talk over that conversation. At the high schools, they run at about 70 decibels on full strength. And that's like having a washing machine running in the room. And the teachers are saying it's just too loud. So they're um, running their air purifiers at a lower speed you know, not really realizing what that does for their air changes per an hour in their room. Um, and uh, unfortunately, it's um, lowered the air changes per an hour from that that rate that it could have been that um, we used as the measurement in our story because the district um, reported what the air changes were per an hour based on the air purifiers running at full strength. Now, when I sat down to to read your story, I was expecting, well, you know, you don't think of public school buildings as being the the most breezy, <laughs> healthy environments, right? There's a, a lot of places that don't have a ton of windows or, you know, it's an old building. But I was surprised to see it's not just old buildings. Um, tell us about Rosa Parks Elementary and the family you interviewed there. Yeah, I was surprised to learn that too. Um, I went into this story thinking, knowing um, that Portland public school buildings are fairly old. And um, on average, they're about 80 years old. And I thought, oh, that must be the problem. It's these old buildings with old HVAC systems. But Rosa Parks Elementary was built in 2006. So it's about 16 years old, which is very young for a building. And when I looked at their, um, their ventilation and filtration rates, I saw that more than half of the classrooms there even with the portable air purifiers running at full blast, fell below three air changes per an hour. So they fell below the bare minimum recommendations from experts for air. And that's surprising. I talked to the mother um, with two children at Rosa Parks, her nephew Mm -hmm. as well, who lives with her. And um, she cautiously sent them to school um, when schools, after schools reopened. And um, was worried about COVID. And it happened that like many, many people in January of this year, those three children, they got COVID and they brought it home, she believes, um, because she said the only place they went to was home and school and they always wore their masks at school. But still, that wasn't enough to overcome that they tested positive for COVID Eventually, her husband tests positive. She tests positive. Um, She also has two younger children Mm -hmm. in Head Start. And she had to spend a month off from work in January, um, quarantining with her younger children, um, taking care of her older children, and taking care of herself. Um, You know, she can't work when she's positive for COVID. And it was 
a big financial hit. She was surprised to learn um, what the air changes per an hour were in her children's classrooms. In hindsight, she suspected that air may have been the problem a few years ago before the pandemic. Her daughter, um, who attended Rosa Parks, caught the flu, um, which is another airborne disease. And she had noticed that um, when her daughter caught the flu, a lot of other kids had the flu at the school. And her daughter ended up being hospitalized at Randall Children's Hospital for about two weeks um, because of that. Uh, So, yeah, that's just another reminder to her uh, how important um, good air is in schools. That's scary and uh, such an interesting story, both for the present experience from that family and also, uh, as you mentioned, the flu piece. It seems like we've kind of recalculated how we think about indoor air because of the pandemic. And like I mentioned earlier, the wildfires from 2020, I I had no clue what a MERV filter was before, before that, um, you know, really terrible summer. uh, I mean, now it's like, I know, I know what I should be looking for and I have opinions on it. Yeah. Yeah. Very important to have uh, at least a MERV 13. I I now understand the differences in, in, uh, Uh, the quantitative differences in MERV filters and the 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 amount of um, dust and viruses and particles they can filter out of the air. But um, yeah, air purifiers and good filters in HVAC systems is key. I mean, it's an essential way to um, fight the spread of airborne diseases. So PPS is in the midst of all these renovation projects. You know, there have been cost overruns, there have been delays, um, and now we have this example you know, which happens in in big projects frequently. So that's not unusual. But now we have this example of a project from the relatively recent past that apparently isn't up to snuff in terms of um, the level of filtration, talking about Rosa Parks and and their, you know, indoor air quality. Uh, What assurances do parents and students and staff have that these projects underway right now are going to be up to any level of standard in terms of air filtration um, in Portland? You know, we really don't. Portland Public Schools um, has been doing a lot of um, construction, a lot of renovations, um, rebuilding um, of high schools in particular um, in recent years. And sometimes the results are pretty good as far as ventilation. And sometimes they aren't. Um, Franklin and Grant High Schools um, were heavily renovated, hundreds of millions of dollars worth in the last five years. And both of them, in looking at their ventilation numbers without portable air filters, so just the way the buildings were designed to function, their HVAC systems, it's pretty good. Um, pretty good numbers um, for both those high schools. But then we look at another high school that was just rebuilt, McDaniel High School, um, at a cost of more than $200 million, HVAC systems completely redone, Mm -hmm. and more than half the classrooms at McDaniel High School fall below three air changes per an hour, that bare minimum, the way the school was designed. No, No portable air filters in there, and they end up having subpar ventilation rates. And that and you know that's because I think that Portland Public Schools hasn't set a goal for air changes per an hour for construction. And you know one could argue that this is a relatively this is a newer idea. 
um, that's been brought on by the pandemic. Um, it's really educated us about air, but more than two years into the pandemic, there's there's still no goal and there's more buildings that um, PPS will be renovating and spending millions and millions of dollars on with no goal, no standard for air changes per an hour. So I, you know, I don't know how the ventilation in those schools is going to turn out. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll talk more with Amy Green, investigative reporter for the Oregonian and Oregon Lion. So, I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about Portland Public. Obviously, it's the largest district in the state, but um, you went and looked at a lot of the large districts around the Portland area. How are the burbs doing in comparison to PPS? Yeah, I um, asked the 12 largest districts in the immediate Portland area. Um, I asked them about their ventilation and filtration, asked them if they had set a goal for air changes per an hour, and I asked them if they had met um, this bare minimum for air changes per an hour, and the majority of them um, said they had set goals, and um, eight out of 12 of the districts have they said they've achieved that bare minimum of three air changes per an hour. Um, and you will see that there are a few districts that, you know, went um, beyond that. Uh, Beaverton says they've met five air changes per an hour. Mm. Hillsboro, six. Oregon City, six. Um, the difference, though, is um, that they did not do what Portland did as far as um, measuring the air. They didn't go into every single classroom with instruments and measure um, the air changes per an hour in each classroom. And 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 they'll argue, they'll say, you know, but we, we did our calculations carefully. We based it off of um, our ventilation system's capacity to serve those classrooms. And we're confident that our classrooms are achieving those numbers. What cities or districts are doing this right, Amy? Yeah. I mean, there has been a lot of talk nationally in general about improving ventilation, but there have been few specifics. For example, the CDC hasn't talked specifically about air changes per an hour and a goal that districts should aspire to. So what I found when I looked around the country was it was awfully difficult to find districts that could specifically say, hey, we set a goal and we reached it and this is our number and we know that we have um, good air in our classrooms because of that. Um, I did find some districts, though, who really listened to experts and really um, nailed things down and made sure that... Um, they were following the best advice out there. Washington, D.C. was one that stands out. It's about the same size as Portland, um, a, just a little bit larger. And they set a goal, and they've met that goal of at least four to six air changes per an hour in every one of their classrooms. Um, and they also did something. Um, they put in they put in real-time monitors in their classroom so they could make sure um, – in a portion of their classroom. In every school, there's 10 to 15 um, real-time air monitors that measure, measure carbon dioxide and particulate matter, which are two other ways of making sure that um, there's good ventilation in a classroom. There's one other district I wanted to mention, Boston uh, Public Schools. Um, mm -hmm. They measured um, 
air changes per hour in a small portion of their classrooms. But what they did is they placed these real-time monitors in every one of their classrooms. And anyone can go on to the web at any time and click on their kid's school and see what the carbon dioxide levels are in their kid's classroom. And measuring carbon dioxide is a, a really good way, another good way of knowing if you have um, good uh, good ventilation in a classroom. If the carbon dioxide level gets too high, then you know that you're going to have to do something like open up a window if your window does open and you have a window in the classroom. Exactly. Right, right. Or, you know, turn up the HVAC system um, and flush out that carbon dioxide. Going back to DC briefly, you noted in your, in your reporting that um, they spent $25 million on filtration devices and other mitigation efforts versus... Portland Public spent, what, $5 million? Is that right? Yeah. Um, as far as uh, getting portable air filters in classrooms and other school spaces and upgrading those HVAC system filters um, in uh, their buildings, Portland Public School Schools spent a little over five, $5 million on that. And uh, Washington, D.C. schools spent a total of about $24 million dollars on upgrading their systems in, uh, you know, with their real-time monitors, um, upgrading HVAC systems, and getting portable air filters in classrooms. And they were able to do it for $24 million. So let's say a school is achieving this, you know, five to six exchanges per hour. Does that reduce the necessity or for kids or staff to wear masks? Um, because, you know, the air is not stagnant. It means that the people in that room are less likely to catch an airborne disease. That The higher the air changes per hour, the less likely you are to get infected. But five to six is what experts say they think is a realistic goal. The higher, the better. Um, I talked to one professor, um, Richard Corsi. He's the dean of engineering at the University of California, Davis. And he did an in interesting calculation. He said, let's say you're in a room with two air changes per an hour, everybody's wearing masks. If everybody takes off their masks, you would need to increase the air changes per an hour to eight um, to get an equivalent amount of protection. Um, and furthermore, if you were in that room with two air changes per an hour and you were wearing a really good quality mask that fit your face well, like an N95, you would actually need to increase the air changes per an hour to even higher. So, you know, it's all a matter of... Um, you know, it's six isn't like a golden number that's going to make it safe, but it's going to make it better. And the higher you go, um, the better it's going to be as far as um, reducing your risk of catching an air airborne disease. You kind of alluded to some of the ripple effects earlier, I mean, but I mean, what is really at stake here, I guess, um, when we're talking about this? Because it's not just COVID, right? It's like you mentioned the the family at Rosa Parks and and the flu, you know, there's there's so many other illnesses that we haven't really addressed previously before the pandemic. Maybe this is an opportunity more than anything else. Yeah, I really think it is. It, yeah, it's not just COVID. It's just making sure that we have healthy air in buildings. Um, there's um, chemicals in buildings. There's dust. Um, there is air pollution, as we learn from um, Harriet Tubman Middle School right next to I-5. Um, right. That uh, That's important to try to filter that out of the air. And you need um, special 
types of filters to filter um, vehicle exhaust pollution from the air. And, you know, that's something that I think we need to look at at other schools that are close to freeways as well. Um, And yeah, just cognitively, I think, uh, you know, I talked to a professor who joked that it's not, you know, the math lesson or the biology lesson that's making students fall asleep. It's the bad air. (laughs) You know, if you've ever been in like a hot, stuffy classroom and, uh, you know, it's not, you know, just a classroom where the air really isn't flowing well and you aren't getting fresh air in there, you know, you might start to doze off. It's not just that algebra is hard. It's uh, the air is an issue as well. Yeah. Algebra is hard <laughs> enough. Like give, give, give them some fresh air, right? That's the argument. <laughs> All right. Um, before I let you go, I mean, what if anything will or could change before the next school year begins this fall? I mean, we're talking in, you know, mid, mid to late May and um, it's not, that far away before they're back starting a new school year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, summer goes by fast. I would say that there needs to be more discussion about these portable air purifiers. There are some classrooms in the district that are doing just fine. They might have six air changes per an hour. They might have 10 or 15. And do you really need an, a portable air purifier in those classrooms, if you have other classrooms that are limping along at two or three air changes per an hour, this would be a way that the district could at least discuss maybe moving around some um, portable air purifiers and putting them in the classrooms that really, really need them so that they could be spaced out through the ro- throughout the room and the teachers wouldn't need to run them at full blast so they wouldn't be as noisy. Um, that, you know, that's, that's a short term solution. The longer term solutions are the real time monitors, which do cost, you know, they do cost money. Um, and uh, new construction, which, you know, is very, very expensive. But yeah. we already have bond money passed um, for the long term. Let's just make sure that we spend it in a way to get the biggest bang for a buck. Well, it's a fascinating issue that I think a lot of people probably haven't given too much thought to before 2020. Thanks so much for all the work you did explaining it to us and going in depth and taking time to talk about it. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared a link to IME's investigation in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. And tell a friend, help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time. <laughs>